This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case i got bored welcome aboard literary tracks episode number 269 i am bruce gibson one of your hosts and you know what this is your official star trek books and comics podcast here on the trek fm network and on board with me is the wonderful the great dan gunther happy to be aboard uh yeah <laughs> they you know they i have my complimentary in-flight peanuts and and everything it's it's i'm just happy to be aboard <laughs> yeah, i am too you know i i fly delta airlines quite a bit and i do a lot of travel in my job and they don't do peanuts anymore they do what? almonds huh. i want peanuts well, that's better than nothing that's cool i know but i love peanuts i'd rather have the peanuts you know i i have to say i hate i i don't know what airline does this and apologies to you know any corporate over overlords out there but there's one airline and they gave everybody cheez-its and i really don't like cheez-its i was like what is no that no. it may have been delta because delta is now doing cheez-its oh that's disappointing so, yeah because they used to have like a snack mix and before that was pretzels okay we're getting way too into this i could tell you all <laughs> the different snacks on delta for the last several years <laughs> you know what i actually want to listen to that podcast Yes, because I can tell you all the different flavors of kind bars that they hand out too. But Ooh. that's yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. I was on a plane once where they gave out Stroop waffles. That was cool. Really? Yes. Those. I were... want to know what airline that was. I I can't remember. <laughs> oh wow. Well, we're not going to snack on today's episode, but actually, we're going to snack on some comics here on today's show, and that means in the feature today, Star Trek. The Gold Key Archives, Volume 5, Part 1. The Gold Key Comics Archive editions take six issues of those 1960s, 70s Gold Key Comics. And so, because it's six issues and they're of pretty decent length, we are going to cover the first three issues in that and then the next three issues on the next episode. So, this is a rockin' fun time when we do the Gold Key Comics because you never ever know what you're going to get <laughs> the subtitle of this episode is going to be oh we're doing these again huh <laughs> <laughs> yep 
yep, we're doing those again, but they're a lot of fun. This is a fun episode, but before we do that, we don't have any new comics to talk about. Actually, we're going to do the Q Conflict issue number four in the next episode, so stay tuned for that new comic. But we're going to go ahead and jump into some listener feedback from our episode number 267. That word, sacrifice, keeps coming up. That's the title of that episode, and this was about the book Burning Dreams, the Captain Pike novel that we reviewed on that episode. And the first feedback we get is from Michael Parkhill, who says, really looking forward to listening to this tonight. I first read this book when I was in squadron leadership school when it first came out in 2006. I finished it at the end of that summer on a plane to Las Vegas. It was good and inspirational to say the least to me. My novel has a lot of marks, highlights, and notations like an old Baptist copy of the Bible. I'm currently reading it again now. I started it when I was out of surgery in early January, and I'm about to finish it. I have a page or two of quotes written down from it in a leadership journal I write in. I transcribed in 2011 for my oldest son when he graduated from high school, and I'm in the process of doing it for my youngest son, who's about to graduate. My favorite quote from the book is on page 140, where it says, a wise man never dismissed his dreams. Well, Michael, it sounds like you really like this book, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I love, uh, you know, I, I think we all have those books, right? The ones that we keep coming back to and that we learn a lot of lessons from. And I love that this was that book for you because I can totally see it, how this could be that influential. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's it's a great book with a lot of great lessons to take from it. So that's really awesome. Yeah. So and it's really great that uh, you posted that. We really appreciate hearing that. Definitely. Well, the next comment comes from Brandon Harbeck, who says one aspect of Bonanno's writing that I appreciate is her flow from one scene to the next. Even when hopping around in time, it never feels like the story is disjointed or going off on a tangent. The effect is that the reader is given the information they need at the exact right time. Strangers from the Sky and Unspoken Truth also do this very well. Yeah, thank you so much for that comment. One thing I did notice about how the novel flows is a lot of the chapters kind of end with a bit of like a a twist or a surprise, just a slight one, not like, uh, you know, jaw dropping, but just, you know, a sentence that kind of makes you see things in a different manner and kind of turns things on its ear just a little bit. And to me, that really made me want to read the next chapter right away. So for me, that really helped with the flow of the novel as well. And I really do enjoy Margaret's writing in this book, especially, and in those other ones you mentioned as well. Yes, maybe one day we're going to do Strangers from the Sky. It has been talked about for for a while and just hasn't happened for various reasons I can't get into at this moment. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Justin Ozer says, I love this novel. We learned so much about Pike's life story, and it's so well done. He says that, I know that you love the book overall, but had some questions about what happened in Pike's childhood with the secret that was kept for so long. I chalk that up to a family dynamics tending to be weird, at least in my experience, and that sometimes it can feel easier to keep a secret than to deal with the consequences of telling that secret. Although in reality, the consequences can be more difficult the longer than that you wait. I wanted to also mention the mission that we see Pike and Spock on toward the end of the book. I loved that it felt like a great lost Star Trek episode in the middle of a bigger novel, which was great. 
I imagine Jeffrey Hunter as Pike for most of the novel, as I think you're right that some of the sternness fits more of how Hunter played the role. I absolutely love the ending. I actually let out a sigh of relief and had tears in my eyes because Pike's life has been so haunted by his choices and what might have been in the end, he's made a huge difference in the lives of so many. Well, thanks, Justin. As always, you always have some great feedback. You know, the the point that you mentioned about uh, Pike and Spock towards the end of the book felt like another old episode. It it did feel as if, like, you know, I was like, oh, did this come from another story that I haven't read? Or, you know, where where did this come from? So it did add to that. And also, um, it's interesting you say about Jeffrey Hunter and the sternness and everything, because I was listening to another podcast today where they were talking about Anson Mount. And I thought, you know, I, I like Anson Mount's portrayal a little better because he seems less stern. I always thought Jeffrey Hunter seemed, you know, too serious. Yeah. And I mean, part of that's where he was in his life at the time, you know, with that yes. conversation he has with the doctor and stuff. But, you know, yeah, some of that stuff just fit a little better with this novel, I thought for sure. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I had a, I, I was kind of going back and forth between Hunter and Mount for that novel. Personally, there were different parts that I found fit each of them a little better, which was a little weird in my head, but kind of made it work. Sometimes I purposely try to substitute the different actors and things. And we never even mentioned about trying to picture Bruce Greenwood. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. From the uh, Kelvin timelines. He's played Pike. Mm-hmm. So that would be interesting. Go back and read a Pike novel picturing him. Hmm. Well, we do have another Pike novel we're planning on covering. And that one in particular, without giving anything away, might benefit from a Bruce Greenwood reading of it. But we'll see when we get there. <laughs> we will see that when we get there. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and go into the feature because it's going to be a crazy ride. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. You stuck around. You have been warned. So we're going to go to those Gold Key Archives, Volume 5, and we're going to do the first three issues in this edition. And just so you know, those issues are issues number 25, Dwarf Planet, issue number 26, The Perfect Dream, and issue number 27, Ice Journey. And... Dan, okay, before we jump into this, you've been on every Literary Treks, I think, reviewing these, volumes one through four. Is that correct? I think so. Without going back and looking right now, I think that's the case. Uh, It certainly feels like it. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Um, Yeah. Would Uh, you say they get better over time? Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I find... And and I don't know if it's the mood I'm in when I'm reading them or what, but I'm I'm kind of feeling like all over the place. Like I feel like they were getting better with time and maybe some of them dropped off at some point and came back up a bit. Uh, we'll talk about how I feel about these stories <laughs> and oh. what that means for the overall trend. Um, but, you know, in in all honesty, it's been quite a while since we've done these, so... You know, I can't remember exactly where I was on the enjoyment scale for them last time. I think I was enjoying them quite a bit, but I don't know. Yeah, um, I I do feel like they have gotten better as time goes on, but they're still, you know, misses. They're still not perfect. I just remember earlier issues as I was reading them and listening to literary tracks that, you know, they were 
a little they were more off you know mm. whether it's the coloring of the uniforms or the way they were speaking and yeah. you know it's like that doesn't sound like kirk or that doesn't sound like spock and and the weird descriptions of things you know instead of maybe a communicator they say you know get out your radio whatever thing or something mm. but you still get some of those yeah without commenting on quality they do get definitely trending more towards being more like the original series as we go on you know without making like those blatant mistakes again i'm i'm making that comment separate from quality you know because some of those early stories they were very enjoyable just maybe not quite star trek <laughs> <laughs> well let's go ahead and hit the first issue issue number 25 dwarf planet this came out in july of 1974 which is also interesting because the animated series was on at this point. So, oh, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. If you wanted your Star Trek fix for new adventures, you could either read the Gold Key comics or watch the animated series. Truly a wondrous time. <laughs> <laughs> so in this issue, the Enterprise encounters a planet where generation after generation is becoming progressively smaller thanks to radiation from their star. So they start to really shrink down, and that includes poor Scotty. Okay, so I'm opening this part of the volume here. And first of all, uh, I have to comment on Lieutenant Uhura. Uh, because, because Uhura isn't in this issue. It's, yes, explain that, Dan. Um, instead, she's <laughs> been replaced by Lieutenant Uhuru, uh, much like apparently she was in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, if you pay close attention to the credits at the end of that movie. Uh, but not only has she been, her name has been changed. I don't want to get too, you know, talking about stuff here, but her skin tone is very similar to Kirk's skin tone or Spock's skin tone. I do not see a difference between them on these pages, so... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Whoever this Lieutenant Uhuru is, she's apparently uh, taken over for Uhura, who is <laughs> not here, either physically or by name. Well, I mean, the fact that the name is spelled differently tells me that this is not the same character, I guess. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, could explain why she's got a different skin color. So, I mean, why not? Let's sure. just roll with that. But now this one I've kind of found interesting because the way it started off was like, I thought, okay, here we go. Another gold key kind of odd thing because they beam down to this planet and they're bigger than the village that they're in. Mm -hmm. And first they go into a village that's the same size of them, but then they get to a village where things are smaller, more miniature. And I thought, okay, this is going to get a little weird. But, you know... Uh, the whole radiation thing, the people on this planet are getting smaller and smaller over time. Each generation, as we mentioned before, just keep getting smaller because of the radiation on this planet. And even if our crew were to stay there for a long period of time, they would start to get smaller and smaller. So mm -hmm. as, as the civilization gets smaller, they're adjusting their buildings, their living conditions into smaller villages. So when the, they beam down, there's a, a village the size of us. But it's abandoned because that's from a previous generation. Then they go to another one that's a little smaller and that's abandoned because that's from a previous generation. They keep having to rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. So this aspect of the story, Dan, does this, does this work for you? The idea that they keep shrinking? 
<laughs> I actually didn't mind that. I thought it was an interesting take on stuff. Uh, I liked that, you know, they, whoever wrote this and, and I didn't go back to read the name of who wrote it, but they put some thought into this, right? Like it wasn't just like, oh, everyone on the planet's shrinking. Like they actually thought it through and said, okay, if this has been happening for generations, they build this second city that's, that's slightly smaller. And then, you know, a few decades later, they had to build a third city that's even smaller to accommodate themselves. But not only that, it's not just the people of the planet who are shrinking, but it's all life on the planet. So their first clue is that they find these miniature trees that they initially think are bushes, but then they look at them and they're like, oh, they're like, you know, a heavy trunked tree, just very small. So, you know, all of this stuff is, is continually shrinking. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of was enjoying, you know, even, even before we get to Kirk, uh, being captured kind of Gulliver's travels style. And I mean, some of these are just taken right out of Gulliver's travels. They, tie him down and you know it, it just looks like like it's just lifted right from there um even before we get to that i'm i'm interested you know this is kind of neat like uh there's this airplane that kirk thinks is a child's model plane so he's like oh it's still warm i'll i'll wait around here for the kid to get back and picks up the plane and it blasts out of his hands and he's like what's going on and i mean <laughs> we of course know what's going on but they they take a little while to figure it out <laughs> I was a little surprised that Kirk didn't figure that out when the plane came. He's like, oh, a, a kid's toy. But then I thought, but but you've seen miniature things, mm -hmm. you know? He's seen these miniature things around him. So I thought, why would he just assume it's a toy and not the civilization that may just be smaller? I just assumed that maybe the toy is even smaller than what they had seen at this yeah. point. It, it doesn't, maybe a bit, but like if you look at, that one scene where they're standing in the town, he sees the cars, like there's cars right around his feet that are about the size of that plane. So, you yeah, know, I, I'd kind of be like, I'd be putting two and two together a bit earlier, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> he just said, Lieutenant, you come here, check out this. <laughs> you Oh man. So yeah. So the plane, they all come out and yeah, they, it's like Gulliver's travels. They, you know, all the little, ropes of just pin him down at this point i was like okay now are we just going to retell the story of gulliver's of gulliver's travels using <laughs> kirk and they even put him on like you know a big plank board or whatever with wheels and you know wheel him into town you know in a net and everything and then there's the uh we have madam president who i think is a young girl if i remember correctly here and, uh, you know, he's pleading his case and she starts to give the history of, oh, no, no, she's not a young girl, but, you know, she's talking about how, you know, what happened through the different civilizations like we had discussed earlier and, and why this problem has occurred. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, at this point I, I was, you know, I was, I was going with this. I thought this is, this is a little fun. This is a little interesting. Uh, they do have to send something up to the enterprise. I can't remember. It, it was a gift from the president and <laughs> actually two of their little soldiers snuck into the gift and hid in there so well, they could board the enterprise. And I love how they snuck the soldiers in. They said like, take this gift. It is fruit. 
but it is not quite ripe yet, so don't open it. <laughs> like, oh, okay. We certainly won't inspect this to make sure there's nothing nefarious going on. It's just, oh, it's it's unripened fruit. We have to leave it for a while. So, like, that'll keep them from inspecting this. <laughs> in my head canon, they did look in there. They just weren't allowed to take the fruit out, giving it time to ripe. And they were, they the two guys were hiding under the fruit. Yeah, I, but... <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> there you go. Hey, everybody, that's end of part one of this issue. So they divide these into part ones and part two. So we're already now hitting into part two. So the little soldiers are now on the Enterprise. The little rinky-dink little guys running around doing all kinds of stuff. And then uh, the Enterprise is head- heading to the sun because they want to get a closer look and, and figure out what's going on with the radiation, do an analysis of the radio energy, because that's what's coming out. It's the radio energy. And so, you know, they start to have, you know, try to avoid having electronic failures and stuff. Spock's going to go on to the whole of the ship, do whatever research he's doing with this weird dish thing that comes mm-hmm. out the top. Have we known this before? This uh, part of the ship? Nope. This is just uh, the... Uh this is the what did they call it oh the the re analyzer dish it, uh, the re analyzer dish gets stuck when they're trying to deploy it which is of course a well-known piece of starfleet technology that they use to analyze this sort of thing but yeah scotty goes out in this spacesuit that's lined with this foil that's going to protect him from these radio waves from the star so yeah if you wear foil out on the hull of the ship then it will protect you from shrinking. So <laughs> it, it, and then that little dish thing we were just talking about, that's, you know, where the bridge is, that little dome, everyone that's, it, it's at the top of that, the very top, it just pulls up, you mm-hmm. know, just, just pull that up. <laughs> but all of a sudden Scotty collapses. They're watching on the view screen. Scotty, are you okay? Emergency, break out another foil out gear. I'm coming after him. So Kirk's got to go out there and comes to find out. Oh no. He like something got torn on his, uh, foil his his uniform and he's starting to shrink so all of a sudden scotty's got a shrinkage problem mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a worse one than the people on the planet too he's uh, shrinking much faster than they are because obviously they're closer to the star so it's it's very cold in space that's all i'm going to say <laughs> So, yeah, at this point, it kind of gets a little ridiculous in a way, but I, I like this because Scotty's getting smaller and smaller, which is great because he's not, his clothes aren't getting smaller with him. You know, you watch some TV shows or cartoons and somebody's shrinking and you're like, wait, well, why are their clothes shrinking also? I thought it was just them, but he's actually shrinking down into like the boots of his uh, uniform and, and uh, then they have to put him in some little dome to so he doesn't like catch any viruses or anything that could kill him and and uh but then there was something happens where those little soldiers come and they shoot at it and all of a sudden bacteria gets in and starts you know going after scotty it's like a big monster coming after scotty it's bacteria and he's got to fight it and then rocks are falling on him like microscopic rocks and like it's a whole another adventure of a naked scotty running from rocks and bacteria (laughs) yeah this is okay first of all these soldiers are the two biggest idiots and like what are they trying to do here like we'll find the critical piece of equipment and destroy it you know one wire could be all it takes to destroy this enterprise but no they 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 shoot at the vacuum seal that's keeping the 
clean air in this area where Scotty is so that, you know, bacteria don't attack him. <laughs> like, what were they trying to do? <laughs> and immediately Spock is like, you little murderers, and picks them up and throws them in a storage closet. Like, just... They're the most inept soldiers ever. I love it. It's a storage, a, a tiny little storage closet that says storage. Yeah, it's just it. a little box that's just, or no, it's bones, I guess, that catches them yeah, and puts bones. them in there. But yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so then, of course, they find a way to reduce this and he, you know, he starts to grow again and they found whatever technology that they need to do to help with the radiation and they can share with these people and everybody could be full size once again. And that's basically the end of the story. But again, Scotty's like growing up with no clothes on and he's even says, you know, get me some clothes, man. I'm popping out of this silly thing. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, Spock is staring at him as he's getting bigger and Spock says, ha ha ha. As you know, we know Spock frequently just bursts out in laughter uh, in Star Trek. So, you know, I thought this was really hilarious because we, of course, know these characters and stuff. And in the image, Spock still has his, you know, usually stern look on his face. So, like, how do you read that as Leonard Nimoy playing Spock? Like, ha ha ha. Like, how does just it made my brain break when I got to that part. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they have Spock saying ha ha ha, and then Kirk follows it with ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so overall, okay, my feelings of this were, I mean, it's it's not the most silly of the gold key, but it's there's some silliness to it. But I, I did like it. I thought it was fun. I like the whole aspect of Scotty shrinking and the civilization getting smaller as opposed to, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's like, I, I thought the story was going to take place where like all of a sudden they just started getting smaller over the past year. But I love the fact that, you know, it took generation after generation mm -hmm. and they just slowly were getting smaller with each generation because of this radiation. And of course with Spock, I mean with Scotty, it got more intense and faster because he was closer to the sun on the hall of the enterprise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the the best part of the story is the thought that went into it. Like you said, the generations past and thinking like, oh, what would that do to their society? How would they cope with that? And then with the Scotty thing, uh, you know, thinking of things like, well, if he gets really small, you know, bacteria will be huge and will attack him and that kind of stuff. I, I like that that kind of thought went into it, you know, even if, you know, he they wouldn't be able to breathe the same oxygen molecules but you know just putting that aside that's fine <laughs> you know i i like that they've you know kind of thought this through and made it less just like oh silly shrinking story and more like what would this actually do what would the actual repercussions be yeah it's almost as if they said hey let's do a star trek story like a gulliver's travel and they took that concept and made the best of it really mm -hmm. absolutely and speaking of, you said you didn't remember who wrote this story. I don't see anywhere in these comics where they list who the authors or the artists are. Hmm. That's interesting. Let's yeah. See. Um, so I did just look up on memory beta because yeah, like you said, it's not listed in the original issues who the writers and artists are, but dwarf planet was written by Arnold Drake 
And the artist was uh, Alberto Giolitti. Alberto Giolitti. And the cover artist was George Wilson. So, uh, yeah, Arnold Drake. Good job. I think you put a lot of thought into that. (laughs) Wait, wasn't George Wilson the next door neighbor to Dennis the Menace? (laughs) I think I think you're I think you're right there. Uh, no idea if this is the same guy, but it looks like he's kind of the go-to cover artist looking at this. It looks like he does every, every cover art that has a, um, listing for, a, a an artist is George Wilson. There's some that are photo montages that don't have a cover artist listed, but for all the art ones, it looks like he's the guy that does them. Awesome. Well, I didn't know that, uh, Dennis Menace's, you know, <laughs> neighbor did that. Mr. Wilson. He's always in the middle of that when he gets interrupted by that kid. What a menace. Oh, that Dennis. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Interrupting my cover art. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that's the perfect opportunity now to move to the next issue in the volume. And that's issue number 26, the perfect dream. And this was originally published in September of 1974. Ah, that was a good month and year. So anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) this story is told in flashbacks. And it shows the Enterprise dealing with the destruction of a world. Now, before we get into the spoilers, there's no spoilers in this, believe me. Um, (laughs) This issue, so really this, they come to this planet that is traveling towards them and it's got a ring around it, but the ring is fake. It's not a real ring. They notice that it's uh, taking the place of what a sun would be doing. So it's giving energy and light to the planet. So they decide to beam down and, uh, oh, this time it is Uhura, right? Because she's got the right skin tone. She's got the right skin tone, but they still call her Uhuru. So is it this a be. third different crew member <laughs> who has the same name as the first one? <laughs> no, they still they... call her Uhuru in this one, but she she does her skin tone is darker than Kirk and Spock and them, so <laughs> they've oh corrected one thing. <laughs> Okay, well, they're getting better at this then. (laughs) So anyway, they're being attacked by these look like kind of like tigers or something on this planet. And they got their, you know, phasers out. And then all of a sudden, all these people start running over to help them. Oh, and there's ravens also coming, you know, to attack or whatever. But these people start running over to help them. And uh, they look like samurai. And Sulu points this out that they look very Japanese, like ancient from ancient Japan. And so they approach the Enterprise crew and say, you know, please come with us and accept our hospitality. And and this, you know, the crew is like, you know, those who beam down said, oh, OK, well, we'll follow you. So they follow them through the valley and they approach the village. And it looks like an old imperial city of from Japan. Now, at this point, I kept thinking, like, okay, so why why does everything look like ancient Japan? And we never got an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of was wondering the same thing myself. We'll eventually find out that, you know, the person behind all of this, his name is Yamoto. Um, so I, I just kind of ended up assuming that he took stuff from his own culture and 
used it. It's it's weird that it doesn't get an explanation. But then I was trying to think like if everything just looked like, you know, old American stuff, we probably wouldn't question it. So it's like, oh, okay, I guess they're doing something a little different here because of the guy's background, I guess. But yeah, it's it's very strange. It it to me at this point in the story, it felt like the writer was wanting to do a particular story and was like, oh, I'll just put uh Star Trek characters in it or something. And I was kind of like, what's this about? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things our crew notices that the people here all look alike in some manner. Like there's six distinct faces. So they would look at one person, they see that same face on the other people. And then somebody else, they see that face on other people. And so why would that be? And they're questioning, are these androids? But yet their tricorders say that they are human. So that question comes up and then they start questioning the natives of this planet of, you know, their lifespan and they kind of take, you know, offense like, well, you know, what it just is what it is. But one of them here, Eco, he starts, he does question things and uh, it's not right to question things. That's in breach of Yamato. So, you know, he's going to be punished for that. But at the same time, uh, Spock is interested in why this seems to be a thing and what's going on on this planet. And he watches uh, this first Dan because he's not allowed to think and do things, but yet he's constructing something. He's building like a little model you know, building or something, but he's not allowed to be doing that. He's not supposed to create. That's not right for someone who's first Dan. Mm-hmm. And Spock is like, this is very unique. And, you know, talks to him a little bit about it and decides to wander off himself to do some investigating. Yeah. So at this point, yeah, I'm wondering like what's what's going on here because, yeah, this guy, Eco, is um, berating himself basically because he's he's becoming creative. He's he's making little models and that sort of thing. And uh you know, I'm I'm getting a little interested in this story. It, it's it's kind of one of those things that they can really wear a reader out quickly by like, oh, it's a mystery. What's happening? What's going on? It's really weird. What's really you know? And then at the very last minute, they're like, oh, this is this explains everything. I get a little bored with that. Like, I kind of want answers and and you know, the like, I don't understand what's going on. This is weird. It gets a little bit tiresome if that's what you're relying on, but. You know, it was, it was interesting. You know, I'm like, okay, this is weird. Like what, what is going to be the answer here? Yeah. And I felt that I kind of knew maybe where this was going to go because, you know, they keep, they keep talking about how perfect the society is and the flowers are edible. And Kirk says, well, you know, there's plenty of food on this world that like, there's nothing they have to sacrifice. Everything is given to them. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of water. They live in this perfect society. But yet when Spock goes, you know, to go figure out, you know, what's happening, he goes exploring these tiger beasts start attacking him, which he then says that kind of contradicts the environment of the world where everything is perfect and safe. So why would these uh, these tigers be attacking? Mm -hmm. He's like, the only reason that could be is unless they're guarding something. And that's when he comes upon a big, you know, building. that has the architecture of, you know, ancient Japan. 
and he starts to approach the complex knowing that there's something more to this because it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing else around. So why would this building be where it is? And so he goes in and he finds that there's a chamber inside. And while that's going on, we see our crew back in the village and they see the model that Eco put together. And then all of a sudden these soldiers basically come in and say, you know, Eco's got to be taken away. He's going to be executed because, well, you know, the guy is a first Dan and he, he can think and he's not allowed to be thinking. So he's got to be killed. And all mm. of a sudden they start, the crew starts to fight them and swords are out and everything, <laughs> which at first I was like, wait, why would our crew start attacking them? But I, in my head, Canon, the soldiers start attacking them first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing in the gold key comics, the crews seem to be a little bit more eager to, interfere in societies than uh, usual but uh and to fight yeah yeah we'll go with they were attacked sure <laughs> but you know it 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 is something that we do see kirk and them do on, on the original series sometimes is you know when someone is threatened even if uh you know they're not part of the crew i'm thinking like Elien in friday's child for example is going to be put to death and kirk you know at the last second uh, shoves her out of the way and and saves them saves her and and attacks the people that were going to kill her it it happens you know they're a little bit more fast and loose with the prime directive in this time <laughs> and the other thing i just noticed because i'm looking at one of the panels is that sulu's tunic in all these issues is more of a green color where kirk's is more of the gold color mm. and i think it's interesting that they those two tunics never match in color that they're slightly different yeah it, it was almost like they were trying to differentiate the captain from everyone else or something like that a little bit and you know we do know that some of the uh the references they were going from were black and white photos and that sort of thing that said it's 1974 at this point I think there's more references out there that they should have been using, you know, to, to get the colors correct and, you know, of the people and of the costumes. So, you know, I mean, I would assume these comics were produced and the art was being done in the United States at that time. I, th- I mean, I, yeah, right? I, I know like early on they weren't or something, but I, I think I assume by this point they were, but I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Because you're right. I mean, it was big into syndication at that time. People were watching. I mean, it was in the you know culture of the time, you know, popularity in the animated series we mentioned. So you'd think they would know, but I who knows? They're probably mm-hmm. like people like my dad that was like, ah, I'm not looking at that. Ah, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, anyway, the, that's the editing wasn't as as uh, you know. Um, careful (laughs) yeah i don't know well that's 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 the end of part one we haven't even got to part two of the perfect dream Mm -hmm. so uh you know essentially there's this woman we haven't really talked about her she's kind of been the lead the one that's showing the crew around and helping them out uh her name is oshino oshino yes and but she keeps having like these little memory things that keep pop up. I think it really all started when our crew is asking her questions and she's like saying like, I I keep having like these memories or something of like people coming out of a lake or an arm, you know, reaching out to me and pulling me out of a lake. And she doesn't really know why this is happening, but them asking questions seem to have 
have prompted this. Because mm-hmm. because these people don't have a history. Like they have no concept of of what history is. They say like we're of the moment. What what do you mean history? I don't know. You know. So they're they're very confused by those questions. Yes, and then of course as she's being overheard, they're like, oh no, she's showing signs. You know, we'll probably have to execute her too. But uh, then we go back to Spock and he's in this facility where he sees a chamber of clones. And then he realizes, okay, yes, this is a planet of clones. And then all of a sudden he hears a voice in the distance say, everyone's Spock except myself. And so that's such a dramatic entrance. <laughs> it is. And he's at the top of these stairs and everything. He's like, I'm Yamato and I'm the overlord of this world and the creator of its inhabitants and stuff. And Spock's like, this is very remarkable knowledge that you have. And da, 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 da. and of course it can't just all be that plain and simple, you know, uh, as Yamato, as Yamato is explaining things, you know, a dream that is now reality and I'm creating all this. And this is a spaceship, not a planet. And Spock's like, you know, I've never suspected that this is a planet but it's a giant spaceship starship. And I thought, I thought Spock would maybe because the planet was traveling through space and had a fake ring. So why would he never suspect that it's not really a planet? Yeah. It seems like a little bit of a, a stretch there <laughs> that he didn't kind of put that together, but you know, Spock's having an off day. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not a good day for Spock. Uh, he's, he's also, he's going to get captured by this guy because he wants to make, you know, this ultimate clone because Spock is, you know, stronger and, and better. So he's like, oh, I'm going to paralyze Spock here and make even, you know, better clones out of this guy. Well, then this guy says, you know, here I, here I have done what no other people have achieved perfection. Three classes genetically programmed for their separate social functions. Harmony. And he talks about how people have longed for utopia, but everyone's always failed at it. And so he's trying to achieve that. And then all of a sudden he shoots Spock. (laughs) Well, stuns him because he's going to use Spock as part of his experiments. So we go back to our crew and the soldiers are there and our crew has their phasers out and they stun them and they contact Scotty and tell him, you know, we can't get hold of Spock and there's all this weird things happening on. And so they start to go and search for Spock. Hey, that would be a great title, The Search for Spock. <laughs> yeah, it's very evocative. I, I really like that. They should make a movie. And Yamoto gets distracted because he hears, sees intruders or hears intruders are coming. He turns his back. Spock wakes up and sneaks out. And uh, we fight some robots with their phasers just very briefly in one panel. And... Uh, So Spock is found and Oshino is there with the crew as they find him. And she realizes from being in this lab, in this facility that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a clone. I'm not real. My, my life really doesn't have meaning. I was, you know, I don't have a destiny and awaiting for me. And so as the crew beams up, she blocks them by, she she shoots some rocks down to block the entranceway or whatever, because she's going to have, take care of Yamato herself. And uh, so she basically shoots and kills him. And then destroys the planet. <laughs> and all this is going on and being told as a story to a Federation council. Because they're basically the crews on trial for what happened to this planet. And they're cleared of things. But I actually like that it was framed in that manner. And it was just the straight story. Yeah, it was a little different. It was, you know, they're kind of experimenting a bit with how to tell the story 
you know, which is, yeah, I, I think it was kind of a neat way to tell it. And we should say this was written by John David Warner, uh, and the art once again, Alberta, Alberto Giolitti, who I think does all most of the art for these. So, um, and it, yeah, definitely a different way to tell these stories. I like that they're experimenting a bit more with the format. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I actually enjoyed this one. This one felt more like Star Trek than the previous one. Yeah, it kind of, for me, it took till the end for me to be like, oh, okay. But because, yeah, in the middle there, I was kind of going like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I don't, I'm not really, not really following, not really enjoying, <laughs> but definitely with the wrap up, I was like, oh, that's cool. I like, I like what it's saying about, you know, self-determination and, you know, having dreams and, and goals and that sort of thing. And life without that is meaningless uh, you know, it's, it's too bad that all these clones died instead of, you know, going off and finding lives of their own. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a tragedy. It, yeah. And it does have a message and, and you're saying that they all died, but yet, uh, Eco's model hut survives. They find it. <laughs> That's true. It was somehow found in the wreckage of this entire planet. They managed to find the little hut that he had made. Um, I know this guy runs in and says, Captain Kirk, will you look at this? The space scooper picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Do we have space scoopers in, in the Star Trek TV series? Well, apparently that's what Starfleet does. If a planet blows up somewhere, they send out a space scooper to clean it up because that's a great use of Starfleet's resources. Cleaning I keep up picturing dead planets. <laughs> I keep picturing the scooper like a, the scooper I used to do the kitty litter. <laughs> Scoop up the clumps. You know? <laughs> I've got to go to the litter and go, look, I just found Eco's model hut. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that being said, let's move on. Hey, you know, I, I have to say at this point, I like this one better than the first one. I think I actually liked the first one a little bit better. I was kind oh, of really? digging that story a little bit. I liked the weirdness of it. Um, the first one to me was like, oh, this is a classic gold key story, you know, where weird things are happening. This one I was a little less invested in, but I did like the message and how it wrapped up. Okay. Well, let's see how the third one stacks up. Does it get better? Or does it get worse? And oh, this boy. One... <laughs> well, I guess that answered that question. This is issue number 27, Ice Journey, came out in November of 1974. And so the Enterprise journeys to Flow, F-L-O-E. It's the coldest planet in the Federation. <laughs> and they're going there because it's for a population study. They haven't had a recent population study of the planet. They needed to go and just verify if the population is really what it's supposed to be as like they have on record. Uh, okay. Population survey. Sure. Whatever. Let's do that. And uh, so they're going to beam down to visit with the inhabitants of the planet. And they're reminded that remember, it's really cold there, so you have to communicate telepathically. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> sure, we do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the reason given is it's so cold that if they inhale with their mouth or their nose, you know, it'll freeze immediately. And I'm like, okay, so how are they going to breathe then? <laughs> but, you know, that it never comes up again. <laughs> 
I guess they're just communicating telepathically for the rest of the issue because it, they never bring it up again. Yeah, I, that okay. Yeah, this is one of the first parts of many where I'm a little confused. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take long with this story. Now, interestingly, this one was also written by John David Warner, the guy who wrote the last one as well. So, and you know, there were some things about this that I wondered if it was the same author because there was. It, it it was it was kind of similar in some manners in some ways to the previous story. Like it felt the same, like it was the same writer, but like he was really off on this day because I was yeah. I was never confused with the previous one. This one I was confused several times throughout. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, oh yeah, don't breathe when we're down there; it will choke you. And then we go to one single panel of Spock ready to zip up this special you know, uniform that they're going to wear down there. And he just has this funny look on his face, like a smirk. And he's like, really? <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> is he not believing them or I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, <sighs> anyway, they put on these, what am I trying to say? Not uniforms. What do but, they call them? They're, um, and there is, there are several examples of ridiculous technology. <laughs> <laughs> in this story but yeah these ones are um, a- special special anti-freeze. anti-freeze uniforms yes special anti-freeze uniforms which thankfully because there's a woman on on the uh away mission on the landing party uh dr what's her name shoot dr crisp i think yes dr crisp is on the mission yeah. So luckily, because she's on the mission, you know, they're they're special anti-freeze uniforms, but they're also skin tight. Like they're very, very tight, uh, yes. which is, you know, good because there's a woman on the landing party and we've got to have that in the story. Yes. <laughs> got to keep you warm. Skin tight keeps you warm, I guess. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then they come onto the bridge and these, you know, anti-freeze uniforms getting ready to go and put, you know, their goggles on or whatever and scotty sees them and says well look at this elegant trio it makes me want to play bagpipes it does <laughs> i was like what why would he want to feel like playing bagpipes when they rock in these uniforms <laughs> it's just like man, okay whatever scotty's like having a fun day but yeah they beam down and like you said if they're not allowed to breathe i thought okay they're gonna have like a helmet or something but they yeah. don't they're, they're like, everything on their entire body is covered except from like the nose to the bottom of their chin, which is the one thing they said that would freeze. <laughs> so so. Are, are these like goggle things like are their noses in them? They're breathing through there and they're not because actually, I mean, they're oh, talking, but we never see their mouths actually open. Are they doing it telepathically? <laughs> Supposedly, according to the I didn't know that was a thing we could do. <laughs> But I guess I mean they could they could communicate telepathically if these beings can like read minds and send messages back or something. But here's the part that gets to me though. But they're talking um, to each other too. Like they're communicating telepathically with each other as well. Well that's true. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that's something humans could do, but I guess they can in this. I, I, I don't know. Just maybe it's a new thing for the twenty third century. You can communicate telepathically i i don't know but anyway this race of beings come up and they're humanoid but they kind of look like turtles as they say uh 
and and anyway, so I don't know which character is. I'm assuming it's Kirk because I can't tell from the uniform in this panel where he says like, I must say I wasn't entirely prepared for, and then this alien says, meeting people who look like your Earth turtles. And I thought, well, wait, we just established that they're part of the Federation. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to this planet to check and, you know, make sure that they're reporting the right population numbers and doing a survey of a Federation member world that is the coldest member world of the Federation, wouldn't you, like, look to see anything about who the people are that live there? Uh, Now, we do find out why... This is because they've recently mutated themselves, basically, to adapt to the planet. So that's why they look different than what they're expecting. But But they didn't question that. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Okay, that actually, yeah, that makes a little more sense because you're right. They, they, They are mutated, so they're not expecting them to look the way they did. But it also sounds like this has been going on for quite a while. And here's the other thing. They mention... These aliens say that, you know, their system is now 200 Earth years old. But later in here, they talk about how, you know, their evolution has happened over centuries and centuries. (laughs) Oh, this story. Yeah, this story is a mess. Like It's really. Yeah. Dan, I need your help. Okay, because as I'm reading this, I had to go back and reread things. I'm like, okay, maybe Dan can clear this up for me on certain things. So, okay, there's a panel. Okay, are you at the place where, you know, they just meet the aliens. They're all standing around talking about, oh, you know, our government. We have checks and balances and we have two separate parties, blah, 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 blah. And then they talk about their city. And in this, you know, upper left-hand corner of the page, you know, Kirk says, isn't this the city or no, it's Spock, I guess he goes, is this, isn't this the city? And it's like this little dome. And mm-hmm. she's like, honorable Mr. Spock is very perceptive and correct. No captain. The city is there in our buildings. This is merely our airport. I guess it is Kirk asking about, isn't, isn't this the city? I'm, I'm confused. So I, this dome I, 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 is I got the city? so mixed up as to who is speaking and who is asking <laughs> what and what's going on here. A, because they're all wearing these suits. And, you know, I guess if you look really closely, you can tell who's who. But I, at this point, was not interested in trying to decipher every single flipping panel of this comic because it was getting so bogged down in, like, ridiculous minutia and yeah i i I don't know what she's saying or to who here at this point i guess i think i think she is talking to kirk i think kirk is saying you know is or no i guess it is but it doesn't matter who it is (laughs) somebody and she's like yes that so okay now i think i know what she's saying these different domes are their city they're these domes are different buildings this one that's in front of them at this moment is just the airport but the other buildings behind it all represent different things in the city, which by the way, they go into. So we get to go into. And again, I was a little confused because they're standing on ice. They're in the building because it's really cold and they're on this ice within the building. And one of the crew members says, what in heavens? And the other says, they are melting right before our eyes. And then I guess it's Spock saying, hmm, quite an advanced method of transportation, these special shoots. So I would kept looking at this panel going, they're melting? I don't really see. It looks like there's a fire going on behind one of them. 
yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on here. And then like a couple of panels later, we see them like cracking out of their shells. So I was like, is that what they're talking about? But it doesn't look like that's what's happening in that, in that other panel. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Okay. I was like, like, we're, we're, was half of that panel mixed up with the panel on the next page or something? Like I, cause what's going on there, if they were looking at what was happening on that other panel, that would make sense. They're melting right before our eyes. Yeah. I think that's what it is because what we find out is as we know, they kind of look like turtles. So they have these protective shells on when they're outdoors. And so these shells basically melt off, I guess, within the, within a fire or create the fire or like the heat melts it off. That's what it is. The heat of the fire is melting the shells off of them. So it looked like they were melting when it's really just the shells that are melting off of them because Mm -hmm. now they're standing there looking more humanoid without the shells. They look more human, but they're, they're red with pointy ears and bald or whatever, but our crew is slipping on the ice. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, is it Spock is figuring out that like, Oh, this, population survey begins to make sense you know the federation has suspected these turtle people all along or something like that and i'm not sure like where he's getting this from but yeah then uh then they you know overpower the landing party and they're helpless like you say because they're slipping on the ice or something it's too slippery for them to fight back Right. They want to fight. They always want to fight in the Gokis, but it's too slippery. They can't do it. Which, by the way, I need to back up towards the beginning of this because there was something that kind of bothered me that I didn't mention. I just realized before they beam down, remember, they're going down to a Federation member planet. This planet is part <laughs> of the Federation. They're going down to do a population survey. And what does Spock say to Kirk before they beam down? Captain, let's not forget these phasers. If you're going to a Federation world to do a population survey, why do you need phasers? Hmm. Spock <laughs> suspected something early on, too. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, and maybe they were suspicious because the, there was questioning of the population. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was just weird to me, too. <laughs> but at least we have on the bridge, Lieutenant Yohora. Yes. Yohora. Yohora, yeah. it's the correct... It's Uhura. It is. They got it right. <laughs> Wait, but except for the skin tone. Uh, shoot. <laughs> You're right. Darn it. We can't. <laughs> okay, so we've had three different ones. In the first issue, we had Yohoryu, that's white. We mm-hmm. had Uhura. Yohora, Yohoryu, that wasn't white. Right. Sorry. So we had the right skin tone, and now we finally have Yohora, Who's back to being white. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm really looking forward to actually meeting Lieutenant Uhura, who has the correct skin tone at some point. It's just we haven't met her yet, I guess. Yeah, maybe that'll be in part two of this volume. (laughs) (laughs) Or in our next episode. Or maybe these are all just three different characters. Must be. I mean, I think... They all have similar names. Okay, anyway... um, so now we're nearing the end, you know, and then of part one, 
And we find out from these beings, you know, as they, they have our crew captured that they need Kirk to get Yohora down to do some dictation <laughs> to send a fake message to the Federation that everything is peaceful, everything is okay. And we start to get some history of the people that, you know, they used to look a little different. Their skin tone was different. <laughs> like, we, this is the skin tone episode. I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> so these red aliens didn't used to be red. They were more white. They had more of a pale complexion to them. And we see them on the planet and everything was perfect. And then, and they joined the Federation. They actually, you know, say they joined the Federation and Mm -hmm. then a curse happened. (laughs) And all of a sudden we see a panel that shows where Kirk and Crisp are. I want to call her Crispy for a second. (laughs) There's a Spock and Crisp, I think, right? Okay. uh, Yeah. Spock and Crisp. I love that cereal. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> I had some Kellogg Spock and Crisp the other day. And they're in this little cage above this fiery stuff that blue aliens are reaching out to them going, Err, ooh, ooh, hum, ah, reaching up for them. And that's the end of part one. Yep. That was the most confusing end of part one ever. Like I was like, Okay, where are they? Who are these? What's going on? Are those is that fire? What It's like at the moment, Mr. Spock, we are no freer than they are. In fact, we are the caged animals in their zoo. And like what are all these people? What's going No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, Dan, you're like, I got to get to part 2 to find out what's going on. Actually, I think I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back to the story a little later. I was just like, I need to put this down. I, 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 I can't. I can't right now. <laughs> oh, part two of Ice Journey. Dan fell asleep, but then he came back to it, seeing all these blue aliens in this fire, and they're reaching up, and they say they're flames, so it, it is fire, because they're like, you know, uh, Spock says, watch out for those flames, Dr. Crisp. I love that name, by the way. I want... <laughs> I want Discovery to add Dr. Crisp to the series. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Crisp, you're in the fire. You're about to get crispy. Oh. So. <laughs> well, luckily, yeah, they're, they're going into these flames, but they can survive for a while. This because... is your favorite part. I know this is your favorite part. <laughs> this is so great. Um, Dr. Crisp has on her heat stabilizer tablets. So they will take these tablets and it will keep them insulated from the heat of these flames for a while so they can walk through these flames because they took a pill (laughs) (laughs) that will insulate them. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Hey, you beam down to a planet that you can't breathe on. But you have to <laughs> communicate telepathically until you go inside a building, stand in fire, and take a pill to help with the as a heat stabilizer tablet. And even putting aside the fact that these amazing pills exist, if you're visiting the coldest planet in the Federation, why would you take pills with you that allow you to withstand intense heat? <laughs> like how many different tablets does she have with her if that's that happens to be one of them and she has enough for her and spock maybe she has a problem with heat and she carries them with her everywhere (laughs) i i don't know maybe she's on a prescription (laughs) 
I don't know. <laughs> oh man, maybe hot, she's afraid. Hot flashes become a really big problem in the twenty third century. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she's at menopause, so <laughs> no. Maybe she's also worried that look. Maybe we're not getting correct population results from there, so we have to do this survey. Maybe we get down there and we find out the alien population has been shrinking, and we have to go closer to their sun to figure out what's going on with the radiation. <laughs> the heat's going to be hot. I need to have my heat stabilizer tablets ready. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, so these are, you know, this race has mutated into either red beans or blue beans. <laughs> It's almost like you take the red pill or the blue pill. and But the red beings have dominated and they're suppressing the blue mutants uh, into either slaves or just, you know, captured. If, you know, if, if they're not, if they don't agree to be in this concentration camp, then they become slaves or something to that effect. They, they just keep screaming all the time. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they keep saying, you know, hey, you know, these, the red beings, they're traitors. They refuse to give us the mutation speeder serum. That's right. The mutation speeder serum, which is not a pill. <laughs> no, it turns out it's a, it's a, it's a bath you, you take, you, you yes. bathe in this stuff and that that's what the serum is. Yes. But there is an antidote to it, which I bet is, you Dr. Crisp has it in, in pill form. If you just ask her, <laughs> <laughs> she's going around the planet. Oh, I got all kinds of drugs on me. Just tell me what you need. <laughs> but there's like this serum, like, I don't know, this disc that they eventually bring out that they go over to the red people. And oh, they're the, like, uh, yeah, it's, it's this deadly disc that will. And, and this is what Spock says. It will begin the freezing process, dooming all to death by ice. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. What is I going on? Exactly. I was so confused. I, I feel like Tilly at the end of that scene where she's just like, what just happened? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I don't either. Yeah, because they come running in and Spock says, you know, release the captain and the lieutenant or I shall drain the serum out of you and leave you to freeze like you have left your people in the blue chamber. And they're like, serum? Where did you get those discs? Put them down. I tell you, they're lethal. And Spock's like, lethal to you, but not to us. So now let's talk some business. Which is totally how Spock speaks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I want to keep going much further through this one. <laughs> just, oh, man. Let's just go to the baths. You know, they, you know the crew is on a, on a trap that opens up and they fall down into the bath area and they start telling the blue people that you're being suppressed or whatever. Blue slaves, you know, we're here to free you. And and they start, like, all fighting each other. And the crew leaves them in a civil war and just yep. beams away. <laughs> and they're like, well, now they're engaged in a civil war. There's a race war going on here now. Let's leave. Uh, but when they're back on the ship... Basically, they're like, it's all okay. It's okay that we left them in that state because uh, their planet is doomed. Uh, the blue flows and the red flows both have just a precious few days to live. Um, so that's fine. 
like, what? Yeah. They're like, oh, they were going to destroy themselves anyway. So better now than later. Yeah. They're, they're all <laughs> going to die in a few days anyway. Um, because their planet is, you know, hurtling away from their star or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty's like, but then why have a war when you know you'll soon die anyway? He's, so he's questioning, why are they even fighting if they're going to die anyway? Mm-hmm. And, he's like, and why pretend life is going to go on as usual? I just don't get it. And Spock says, I believe Earth people have a word for it, Scotty. A word missing in the Vulcan Dictionary. That word is hope. <laughs> okay. All is right. that the lesson here? That I, uh, I if, you mi- if you don't have hope, that you'll fight each other because... Some are blue and some are red. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, this was really missing the boat for me. Oh, man. <laughs> I was I was alternating between utterly confused, completely bored, and just like, like you just said at the end, what was the point of that? Like, I don't get what they're trying to say. I, I don't usually come down so overwhelmingly negative, but like this story was terrible. <laughs> I don't even like this is now my third time going through it and I'm still like, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things is uh, Dan put in our notes, they leave them in the midst of a civil war, knowing that they'll be dead in a few days anyway. So it doesn't matter. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's all I could say. <laughs> that was basically my reaction to reading back the sentence that I had just written. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, Dan. So what do we think here? Volume five, the first half of volume five out of the three stories, I think uh, you're favoring Dwarf Planet, the first one. Yeah, that was my favorite one just because there's some fun stuff in there. And I was like, oh, Gulliver's Travels. Cool. Oh, the little uh, airplanes zipping around. That's kind of neat. And, uh, you know, the resolution to that was a little silly. I guess they're going to punish the general by making him the last to uh, be made big again. That's his punishment. (laughs) That was the one part we didn't talk about. But I was like, that's... Okay, sure. But, you know, I like that one. It was fun. It was, uh, yeah, that, that's, that to me is what the gold keys are. They're just fun stories that are kind of quirky. And that one really fit the bill for me. So that one, and I'm assuming then the second one is your second favorite, The Perfect Dream, and Ice Journey is your least favorite. Overwhelmingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of similar, but a little different. So the second one was my favorite, The Perfect Dream. I like that because I thought... It, I, I like them coming down to this ancient Japanese society. So I thought that was a little neat. And then I like the messaging that it had. And the story to me made more sense than some of the others and wasn't quite as goofy as some of the other ones. I also, then my second favorite is the first one, Dwarf Planet. I also enjoyed that one too. So as I was reading Dwarf Planet, I thought, oh, you know, I like this and the Gulliver's Travel type aspect of it and the shrinking people and Scotty shrinks. It's kind of fun, but not. It's silly, but not way too silly. I wasn't scratching my head going, wait, what's going on? Yeah, I wasn't questioning things. It was just kind of going along with the story. So the first one I liked, the second one was my favorite. So as things were going, I thought, oh, it's getting better as we go along. And then I get <laughs> to the last one. I was like, I'm so confused. I need to ask Dan because I'm not understanding things. <laughs> and it didn't help asking me at all <laughs> because no. I was right there with you. Yes. And then when I saw the notes, when we put wow at the end, I thought, okay, 
<laughs> he he feels the same, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was wow. I can't believe how good this story is. <laughs> no, it, no, <laughs> no. It just it just didn't do it for you, huh? No, that one. And, and again, like I said, this is the third time kind of going through it, and I just yeah, it's like somebody completely different wrote the first half and the second half, and they just not even that actually. It's not even. It's not even that the first half is different from the second half. It's like from panel to panel. I'm like, what is going on? I don't understand something you just said in this panel now doesn't seem to be the case anymore in this panel. And like, it's, there's just this weird disconnect. I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe I can explain it to you telepathically and you'll understand. Oh, just okay. Don't, just don't breathe through your nose and mouth. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine podcasts like that it would just be like an hour and a half of silence and people would be like oh i get it there's some podcasts <laughs> i wish were like that actually oh, oh no i'm kidding zing <laughs> <laughs> well okay so again everybody i hope you enjoyed this and uh if you can i i know you can order volume five online uh you can get it as an ebook i think uh it's through idw they're the publishers of these gold key archives so check them out they're fun to read they really are a joy i mean we enjoy talking about them and again we'll be back in the next episode doing the second half of volume 5 which will be three issues and those issues are divided into two parts so check those out so yeah another one of these episodes is in the can <laughs> i you know, it's, it sounds like I'm ragging on this, that I'm like, oh, great, the gold key comics again. But I really do enjoy them. They're a different look at the Star Trek universe. They're generally a lot of fun. And even when the stories aren't that great, there are some fun things from this kind of weird period of history in Star Trek comics that we get to take a look at when we do an issue like this. I like how you said that because that's exactly it. It is a history of Star Trek, not a history of the TV series, but the history of where Star Trek was, at least at this time in publishing and, and how, you know, it wasn't as well known as it is today. And so there's, you know, writers and artists that maybe aren't that familiar with Star Trek and they don't know what color skin somebody has or what color tunic they're supposed to wear. And, you know, maybe they're getting a little closer and better over time, or they don't even know how to write someone's name, you know, in the correct spelling. And, you know, but at the same time, it, it is fun because if, when, when you're a Star Trek fan, and you watch all this Star Trek, it's kind of fun to go to this like, okay, this is going to be kind of a pulpy, comic-y kind of Star Trek. It's still Star Trek. It still feels like Star Trek. The sto I mean, the stories that we're talking here are Star Trek-type stories. It's not just, oh, the Starship Enterprise is going to go and fight, you know, some alien being and have a Starship battle and that's all it is. You're like, no, they just don't go out and fight. You know, this is them exploring and and seeing other cultures and but it's in a pulpy kind of way and we got that in one of the waypoint comics in honor of gold key because mm -hmm. you know there's this enjoyment to them they're they're kind of fun so yeah it's a lot fun it's it's a fun reader for your star trek fan just to go back and read and they're quick reads because they're comics they don't take that long so definitely yeah they're 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 a quick read um don't generally fall asleep halfway through a story like I did, um, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, no, they're fun and just ridiculous. So yeah. Yeah. And that's why they take 
each issue and divide into two parts so you can take a nap between the story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's been fun talking about heat stabilizer tablets, but it's not <laughs> the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Melodic Treks. I just like the way it sounds like this kind of marching exploring searching feeling of uh i don't know it's just something about it that gives you this this connection and it feels like almost like these famous whether it's like gunga din or the sahara with humphrey bogart it feels like that kind of old movie vibe where they're out in the desert and uh you know they're part of a troop literary treks yeah i really wanted to start off the book kind of like uh basically right after right after the events that dave portrays in control and just a little bit kind of as if you remember from the end of hearts and minds when aka and 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 picard are talking and he's and aka is giving picard the business about all this stuff um i wanted to kind of just step back a couple paces and then run back into it again primitive culture a look at history and culture through Star Trek. I think you're absolutely right with Marina Sirtis, and she, I, I think she's talked about it, you know, she, she was sort of saying, you know, what, what's the accent meant to be? And they were like, well, she's a Betasoid, we never met one before, we don't know what the <laughs> Betasoid accent is, make something up. So she sort of made something up. I don't know where she came up with that accent, because it is quite weird, Troy's accent. And it does get progressively less noticeable as next gen goes on to the point where by the movies i mean by the time you get to drunk troy and first contact to me she just sounds more like marina sirtis and less like you know less even than than kind of americanized troy warp five all right now we are on to episode three extinction Archer, Reed, and Sato are threatened by a virus that mutates them into primal life forms. All right, I'll take a break here. I'll see you guys in five minutes. <laughs> also, then, we already we already know Patrick's one. For- so Patrick says no. Okay, so, no. So, Brandon, I'd love to hear your take on this, Brandon. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please, if you have the time, we'd love it if you'd leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. And if you'd like to help to keep all of our shows coming to you each week, even the episodes about Gold Key Comics, you can become a patron on the network through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash trekfm. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM, and you'll get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. And I'm sorry, no access to Gold Key Comics. You're on your own for that one. But all these perks are available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter, we're at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Find us on our Goodreads group, where we have bookshelves with all the previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading. That section is in there, so that you know what is coming up for future shows. Plus, there's great conversations happening about the books and comics, so just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shamotala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM Network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. So, Dan, when you can't get your skin tone quite right, where can people find you? hate when that happens um it's probably just those darn filters on instagram um <laughs> speaking of instagram <laughs> i'm on instagram i'm kurtrats 47 there you can also find me on twitter i'm at kurtrats and that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s you can also find me on facebook.com slash kurtrats productions and uh youtube.com slash kurtrats productions i have a youtube channel where i talk mostly about star trek and of course you can find me in the babel conference as well now, Bruce, when you've got a shrinkage problem that you're blaming on the cold of space, where can we find... <laughs> Sorry, that didn't even say that right. I don't know, Dan. I think I know where you're going with that. It is a bit chilly in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got finished taking a swim before we did this episode. So, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you mentioned Instagram. I've never mentioned, but on Instagram, I'm just Admiral Rex, no underscore. So you can find me there. But I don't post that much on Instagram, but I do look on there on a daily basis. And you can find me doing live from the edge here in the network with Brandy Jacola. And that's when we have new episodes of Discovery. We go live the next night to talk about it. And then I'm also on the Star Wars Report podcast. And of course, always in the Babel Conference whether I'm full grown or have shrinkage. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> yes. So thank you everyone for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. <laughs> you call that light reading to each his own number one.